Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. They took me back to the condo where they were staying. I wondered whether it was the same condo that the dead Pearl girl had been found in. But my plan right then was to say as little as possible. I didn't want to be found attached to a doorknob. I was dying to get in the shower, but I should be careful, said Aunt Dove, because of my arm. They didn't want to take a festering mess to Gilead instead of a pearl. When I came out of the shower, my old clothes were gone, and they'd laid out a silvery-gray dress just like theirs. I'm supposed to wear this, I said, but I'm not a pearl girl. The ones who gather the pearls and the pearls who are gathered are all pearls, said Aunt Dove. That's why we've gone to such risks for you, said Aunt Beatrice. We have so many enemies here. But don't worry, Jade. We'll keep you safe. In any case, she said, I would need to wear the dress in order to get out of Canada, because the Canadian authorities were clamping down on the export of underage converts. They were viewing it as human trafficking, which was quite wrong of them, she added. I'm not underage, I said. I'm 16. Do you have any identification? Aunt Beatrice asked. I shook my head no. We will arrange that for you, said Aunt Dove. To avoid any problems, you'll have papers identifying you as Aunt Dove, said Aunt Beatrice. But I'm a lot younger, I said. Your papers will have your picture, said Aunt Beatrice. The real Aunt Dove, she said, would stay in Canada and leave with the next girl who was gathered, taking the name of an incoming Pearl Girl. They were used to switching around like that. The Canadians can't tell us apart, said Aunt Dove. We all look the same to them. Both of them laughed. So I put on the dress, also the pearl necklace, which was fake, just as Melanie had said. The dress actually felt quite good after my dirty old clothes. It was wonderful to sleep in a real bed instead of under a bridge. Each night I was inside that bedroom, they locked my door. The next couple of days were spent in getting my Aunt Dove papers ready. Aunt Beatrice and I were driven to the airport in a black Gilead government car, and I passed border control with no trouble. The plane was a private jet. It had an eye with wings on it. It was silver, but it looked dark to me, like a huge dark bird, waiting to fly me where? I remembered Sanctacare and the women refugees. I hadn't considered what it was like to leave a place you knew and travel into the unknown. After the plane landed, we were driven to Ardua Hall. When we got out of the car, Aunt Beatrice linked her arm through mine and said, We need to go straight to the chapel for the Thanksgiving. The chapel was already full. Older women in the brown uniforms of the ants, younger ones in pearl girl dresses. Each pearl girl had a girl around my age with her, also in a temporary silver dress. Right up at the front, there was a big gold-framed baby Nicole picture. As Aunt Beatrice steered me down the aisle, everyone was singing, Bringing in the pearls, we will come rejoicing, bringing in the pearls. We all sat down. Then one of the older women went up to the pulpit. Aunt Lydia, Aunt Beatrice whispered, our main founder. Pearl girls, present the pearls you have gathered, said Aunt Lydia. First, the mission to Canada. Stand up, Aunt Beatrice whispered. She led me up to the front. Her hand was on my tattoo, and it hurt. She took off her string of pearls, laid it in a big shallow dish in front of Aunt Lydia, and said, I return these pearls to you, pure as the state in which I received them. May I present Jade, a precious pearl of great price. May she be cauterized from sin and consecrated to whatever service is allotted to her in Gilead. She put her hands on my shoulders and pushed me into a kneeling position. Then Aunt Lydia said, Welcome to Ardua Hall, Jade, and may you be blessed in the choice you have made. Under his eye, 
per ardua cum estris. It is so peaceful here in Gilead, the streets so tranquil. Reign of terror, they used to say, but terror does not exactly reign. Instead, it paralyzes. Yesterday, I viewed, on the closed-circuit television in Commander Judd's office, the partisecution presided over by Aunt Elizabeth. Two condemned men were to be partisecuted, an angel who'd been caught selling grey market lemons, and Dr. Grove, the dentist. Aunt Elizabeth had been in college dramatics, and her onstage experience had not failed her. She'd booked an appointment with Dr. Grove as per my orders. Then, at the appropriate moment, she'd scrambled out of the dentist's chair, ripped her clothing, and shrieked that Grove had tried to rape her. She'd staggered out into the waiting room, where Mr. William, the dental assistant, was able to witness her disheveled appearance. Mr. William testified against Grove at the trial. He was no fool. What could Grove say in his own defense, except that he was innocent of the charge? Grove could hardly admit that he would never have laid a lecherous finger on Aunt Elizabeth, since he was only aroused by underage girls. In view of Aunt Elizabeth's exceptional performance, I felt it more than fair that she be allowed to conduct the partisecution proceedings at the stadium. Grove was the second to be dispatched. He had to watch as the angel was kicked to death and then literally torn apart by seventy shrieking handmaids. Aunt Elizabeth, the picture of outraged virtue, sternly blew the whistle. In two minutes, Dr. Grove was no more. Fists were raised, clutching clumps of bloodied hair torn out by the roots. The aunts and supplicants were all present to support the vindication of one of Ardua Hall's revered founders. The newly recruited pearls had arrived only the day before, so this was a baptismal moment for them. I scanned their young faces, but at that distance could not read them. Revulsion? Relish? Repugnance? It's always good to know. Aunt Immortelle fainted, which was to be expected. She was always sensitive. I expect she will now blame herself in some way. However despicably he behaved, Grove was nevertheless cast in the role of her father. Commander Judd switched off the television and sighed. Oh, was he really guilty? he asked with mild interest. Yes, but not of raping Aunt Elizabeth. He was a pedophile. Commander Judd sighed again. Poor man, he said. It is a severe affliction. Indeed, but he was ruining too many young girls for marriage. Rather than accepting wedlock, the precious flowers were deserting to the aunts. Ah, was that the case with the girl, Agnes? He wanted me to say yes, because then her aversion would not have been to him personally. I can't be sure. His face fell. But I believe so. Then I changed the subject. I am happy to inform you that baby Nicole has now been safely imported into Gilead. What a coup, he said. How did you manage to identify her? My eyes have been trying for years. Did I detect a note of envy, or worse, of suspicion? Aunt Beatrice and Aunt Dove were told only that they should be on the watch for a specific tattoo that the poor child had inflicted upon herself. And luckily, they found her. A self-inflicted tattoo? Depraved, like all those girls. She is going by the name of Jade. I did not wish to enlighten her about her true identity until I had consulted with you. I have placed her with two of our younger aunts. 
How soon may we reveal baby Nicole to Gilead and the world? We must first assure that she is a true believer convert, I said, firm in the faith. We must inform her of the duties that await. It's not all hymn-singing and exultation here. I will leave these matters in your capable hands, he said. May our efforts be blessed. In the fullness of time, I said, smiling. After her exertions in the dentist's office, at the trial, and at the participation, Aunt Elizabeth suffered a nervous collapse. I went with Aunt Vidala and Aunt Helena to visit her where she was recuperating at one of our retreat houses. She greeted us tearfully. I don't know what's wrong with me, she said. I knew what was truly agitating her. She'd perjured herself irrevocably, which, if discovered, would signal her end. Becca and I first saw Jade at the Thanksgiving. She was a tall girl, somewhat awkward, and kept gazing around her in a direct way that verged on being too bold. Already I had a feeling that she would not find Ardua Hall an easy fit, not to mention Gilead itself. Jade's introduction to the ways of Gilead was somewhat harsh, as the next day she was present at a participation. It may have been a shock to her, to witness two men being literally ripped apart by handmaids. It can be shocking even to me, although I've seen it many times over the course of the years. One of those eliminated at the participation was Dr. Grove, Becca's erstwhile dentist father, who'd been condemned for raping Aunt Elizabeth. Considering my own experience with him, I was glad he was being punished. When Dr. Grove was torn apart, Becca fainted. Some of the ants put this reaction down to filial love. However, I knew otherwise. Becca felt responsible for his death. She believed that she should never have told me about his crimes. I assured her that I hadn't shared her confidences with anyone, and she said she trusted me. But Aunt Lydia must have found out somehow. Becca and I had returned from the participation. We were engaged in our evening Bible readings when there was a knock at the door. Aunt Lydia was standing outside. With her was the new pearl, Jade. Aunt Victoria, Aunt Immortelle, you have been chosen for a very special duty, she said. Our newest pearl, Jade, has been assigned to you. Your task will be to instruct her in our life of service here in Gilead. Jade smiled at us, a smile that managed to be both tremulous and stubborn. Welcome, I said to Jade. In my second month at Ardua Hall, Shunamite paid me a visit. She was wearing the blue dress of an official wife. Agnes, she cried. I'm so happy to see you. Are you all right? Of course I'm all right, I said. I'm Aunt Victoria now. Would you like some mint tea? It's just that Paula implied that maybe there was something wrong. That I'm a lunatic, I said, smiling. By the way, I should congratulate you on your marriage. You're not mad at me. Why would I be mad at you? Well, I stole your husband. Is that what she thought? I received a call to higher service, she giggled. <laughs> Did you really? Well... I have four Marthas. I wish you could see my house. I'm sure it's lovely. But you really are all right. Her anxiety on my behalf may have been partly genuine. Doesn't this place wear you down? It's so bleak. I'm fine, I said. Becca's in this dungeon too, isn't she? Is she still insane? She was never insane, just unhappy. It's been wonderful to see you, Shunamite, but I must return to my duties. You don't like me anymore, she said, half seriously. I'm training to be an ant, I said. I'm not really supposed to like anyone. Along with reading, I had to learn to write. 
Becca showed me how, often and with patience. Then, once I could write, however awkwardly, she selected a series of biblical mottos for me to copy. Love is as strong as death. A bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. I wrote them over and over. Once I'd passed my six-month examination and had been accepted as a permanent supplicant, I was allowed into the Hildegard Library and was given a pass to the reading room. One of my assigned tasks was to make fair copies of the sermons that Aunt Lydia delivered on special occasions. While I was at my desk, Aunt Lydia would sometimes pass me going through the reading room on her way to her own special room, where she was said to be doing important research that would make Gilead a better place. The precious bloodlines genealogical archives kept so meticulously by the senior aunts were behind that locked door. We would be granted access only when our minds were sufficiently strengthened. Becca and I became close friends, and told each other many things about ourselves and our families that we'd never told anyone else. I confessed how much I'd hated my stepmother, Paula, described the tragic death of our handmaid, Crystal. And she told me about Dr. Grove and what he'd done, and I told her my own story about him. We talked about our real mothers and how we wanted to know who they'd been. I wish I had a sister, she said to me one day, and if I did, that person would be you. One day an alarming thing happened at the Hildegard Library. The pages for the speech I was to work on that day would be left on my desk in a silver folder. One morning I discovered, tucked in behind the silver folder, a blue one. I opened it. The name of my stepmother, Paula, was at the top of the first page. What followed was an account of the death of her first husband, the one she'd had before she'd married my so-called father, Commander Kyle. The story in the blue folder was quite different from the one that had circulated. There had been no illicit liaison between Commander Saunders and his handmaid, only the regular ceremonies as decreed by law. However, Paula and Commander Kyle had been having an affair even before Tabitha, my mother, had died. Paula had befriended the handmaid and offered to help her escape from Gilead. After the handmaid had set out, Paula had skewered Commander Saunders herself. She'd bribed her Martha to back up the murderous handmaid story. Then she'd called the angels and accused the handmaid. The unfortunate girl was found wandering the streets in despair. She was clearly innocent, but she was hanged anyway. The ants had known the truth. There was the evidence, right in the folder in front of me. Yet nothing had happened to Paula, and a handmaid had been hanged for the crime instead. I was bedazzled, as if struck by lightning. Had this terrible story bought me my place as an ant at Ardua Hall? The next day, the blue folder was gone. Over the course of the following two years, I found a number of similar folders waiting for me on my desk. They all held evidence of various crimes. Sons of Jacob had plotted against one another. Bribes and favors had been exchanged at the highest levels. Public trials, meant to purge traitors and purify the leadership, had turned on false confessions extracted by torture. Bearing false witness was not the exception. It was common. Beneath its outer show of virtue and purity, Gilead was rotting. Apart from Paula's, the file that most immediately concerned me was that of Commander Judd, among other misdemeanors, it contained evidence pertaining to the fates of his previous wives. He had disposed of them all. The first had been pushed down the stairs. Two of his wives were said to have died in childbirth, or shortly thereafter. The babies were unbabies, but the deaths of the wives had involved deliberately induced septicemia, or shock. The fourth wife had taken up flower painting as a hobby, at the suggestion of Commander Judd, who would thoughtfully purchase the paints. She'd then developed symptoms attributable to cadmium poisoning. I'd narrowly avoided a death sentence, it seemed, and I'd had help avoiding it. I said a prayer of gratitude that night, 
Despite my doubts, I continued to pray. Thank you, I said. Help thou my unbelief. I added, and help Shunammite, for she will surely need it. If I remained at Arjua Hall, if I performed my Pearl Girl's missionary work and returned as a philant, all of the secrets I had learned would be mine, to use as I saw fit. All of this power, all of this potential to judge the wicked in silence and to punish them in ways they would not be able to anticipate. All of this vengeance. I had a disagreeable jolt last evening, my reader. I was scratching furtively away in the deserted library with my pen when Aunt Vidala's head suddenly thrust itself around the corner of my private corral. I did not startle. Always researching, I see, she said. No, your enemy, I said. How may I help you? Soon the two of us were sitting at a table in the Schlafly Café. That new girl, Jade, I'm not convinced by her, said Aunt Vidala. Aunt Beatrice told me about that ridiculous tattoo on her arm. Really? God and love? It reeks of an attempt to deceive. How do you know she's not a Mayday infiltrator? We've been successful in detecting those in the past, I said. As for the bodily mutilation, the youth of Canada are pagans— but we will keep a close eye on her. We should have that tattoo removed. It's blasphemous. Removal would be too painful for her at the moment. We don't want to discourage our young supplicant. If she is a true one, which I very much doubt, it would be typical of Mayday to attempt a ruse of this kind. I think she should be interrogated. By herself was what she meant. I prefer more subtle methods. You didn't prefer them in the early days, said Vidala. You were all for the primary colors. You didn't use to mind a little blood. It being late, I called Commander Judd in his office at home and requested a meeting. The door was opened by Judd's wife, Shunamite. She was not looking at all well, thin, white-faced, hollow-eyed. She'd lasted a comparatively long time for a Judd wife. I wondered what Judd had been putting in her soup. Oh, uh, Aunt Lydia, she said, the commander is expecting you. Door opening is a Martha's job. She must have wanted something from me. I dropped my voice. Shunamite, my dear, are you ill? I'm not supposed to say so. I can have our clinic at Ardua Hall do an evaluation. He won't let me go. I will obtain his permission for you, I said. There were tears then, and thank yous. Judd was waiting in his study. Ah, Aunt Lydia, he said, do tell me what brings you out so late. The expression of his eyes was both alarmed and flinty. We have a situation, I said, taking the chair opposite. Aunt Vidala suspects the so-called Jade of being an infiltrator. She wishes to interrogate the girl. That would be fatal to any productive future use of baby Nicole. I agree, he said. We would not be able to televise her afterwards. What can I do to help you? To help us, I said. It is always good to remind him that our little privateer holds two. An order from the eyes protecting the girl from interference until we know she may be credibly presented as baby Nicole. Aunt Vidala is not aware of Jade's identity, I added, and she should not be told. She is no longer fully reliable. Can you explain, he said. For the moment, you'll have to trust me, I said. And another thing, your wife, Shunamite, 
ought to be sent to the calm and balm clinic at Ardua Hall for medical treatment. There was a long pause while we gazed into each other's eyes across his desk. Aunt Lydia, you read my mind, he said. It would indeed be preferable for her to be in your care rather than in mine. I will remind you here that there is no divorce in Gilead. A sage decision. You must remain above suspicion. I am in your hands, dear Aunt Lydia, he said, rising from his desk. How true, I thought, and how easily a hand becomes a fist. I am now poised on the razor's edge. I can proceed with my risky plan, attempt to transfer my packet of explosives by means of young Nicole, and, if successful, give both Judd and Gilead the first shove over the cliff. If I am unsuccessful, I will naturally be branded a traitor. Or I could hand baby Nicole over to Commander Judd, where she would shine brilliantly for a moment before being snuffed out like a candle due to insubordination, I would then reap my reward in Gilead. Am I capable of such duplicity? Having tunneled this far under the foundations of Gilead with my stash of cordite, might I falter? As I am human, it is entirely possible... I waver. I waver. When Jade was upstairs in her room, we would often hear thumping noises. I finally had to ask her what she was doing in there. Working out, she said. You have to keep strong. Why do you think you need to be strong in body? I was becoming curious about her pagan beliefs. In case some guy aggresses you, she slammed her fist into the sofa. You shouldn't entice men, said Becca. What happens if you do is partly your fault. Jade looked from one to the other of us. Victim blaming, she said. Really? Although I'd been granted access to the Bible, I hadn't yet been given permission to access the Bloodline's genealogical archives which contained the knowledge of who the handmaids had been before they were handmaids, and who their children were, and who the fathers were. Not only the declared fathers, but the illegal fathers. In all cases, the ants recorded the bloodlines. With so many older men marrying such young girls, Gilead could not risk the dangerous and sinful father-daughter inbreeding that might result if no one was keeping track. Then one morning... I found a file from the Bloodline's genealogical archives on my desk. There was a small, handwritten note clipped to the front. Agnes Jemima's Bloodline. I held my breath as I opened the file. There was my mother's picture. It was a double picture, like the kind we'd see on wanted posters for runaway handmaids. She had light hair, pulled back. She was young. The name underneath had been blanked out. There was an updated notation, however. Mother of Agnes Jemima, now Aunt Victoria, escaped to Canada, currently working for Mayday terrorist intelligence. Two elimination attempts made, failed. Location, currently unknown. Did I remember her? I tried to. I knew I should be able to, but the past was too dark. I turned the page. There was another document. My mother had had a second child. That child had been smuggled into Canada as an infant. Her name was Nicole. Baby Nicole. Baby Nicole was my sister. Underneath the last paragraph of text, there was a line of wavery handwriting in blue ink. Baby Nicole is here in Gilead. But if baby Nicole was here in Gilead, why hadn't everyone been told? By this time, I knew that the person leaving these files for me must be Aunt Lydia. But why was she doing it? 
After the usual putrid breakfast, I received a message to go immediately to Aunt Lydia's office. It's strange, because I knew she was supposed to be the powerful, mean old queen bee of Ardua Hall, but right then I didn't find her scary. She had a big mole on her chin. I tried not to stare at it. Do you have something to show me? She said. Oh, I said, my arm. I rolled up the sleeve. There was God love, not looking very pretty. She peered at it. Thank you for doing as I requested, she said. She was the one who'd requested it? Are you the source? I asked. You know, the one, I mean, she cut me off. You must learn to edit your thoughts. Now, you are baby Nicole, as you must have been told in Canada. Yeah, but I'd rather not be. Are you ready to help your friends back in Canada? What do I have to do? Come over here and place your arm on the desk, she said. This won't hurt. She took a thin blade and made a nick in my tattoo at the base of the O. Then she slid something very small into my arm. She was wrong about it not hurting. No one would think of looking inside God. Now you're a carrier pigeon, and all we have to do is transport you. Two mornings after I'd read my bloodlines file, I received a summons to Aunt Lydia's office. Becca had also been ordered to attend, but Jade was already in Aunt Lydia's office when we got there. I have some information to share with you that will materially affect the future of Gilead, Aunt Lydia said. You yourselves will have a crucial part to play. Do you stand ready? Yes, Aunt Lydia, I said, and Becca repeated the same words. Good. First, I must inform you, an Immortelle, of something that the other two already know. Baby Nicole is here, in Gilead. Oh, praise be, Aunt Lydia, said Becca. But why have we not all been told? It's like a miracle. I must now add that baby Nicole is the half-sister of Aunt Victoria. No shit, Jade exclaimed. Agnes, I mean, Aunt Victoria, Becca said. You have a sister. That is so joyful. Time has passed since baby Nicole was a baby. She is now grown up. But if she is here in Gilead, Aunt Lydia, I said, where is she, exactly? Jade laughed. It was more like a bark. She is at Ardua Hall, said Aunt Lydia, smiling. Aunt Lydia waved a hand. Jade here is baby Nicole. It can't be, I said. Jade was baby Nicole. Therefore, Jade was my sister. Sorry about not being adorable, Jade said. I tried, but I'm terrible at it. I'm very happy to have a sister, I said to her politely. Nicole will not be with us for long, said Aunt Lydia. She will be leaving Ardua Hall shortly, and traveling back to Canada. She will be taking an important message with her. I was astonished. No convert ever went back. It was treason. Aunt Lydia, that is against the law, and also God's will is proclaimed by the commanders. Indeed, Aunt Victoria. But as you and Anne Immortel have now read a good many of the secret files I have been placing in your way, are you not aware of the deplorable degree of corruption that currently exists in Gilead? So Becca, too, had been treated to the crime files. The aims of Gilead at the outset were pure and noble, we all agree, she said. But they have been subverted and sullied by the selfish and the power-mad. You must wish to see that set right. Yes, said Becca, nodding. We do wish it. Remember, too, your vows. You pledged yourselves to help women and girls. I trust you meant that. Yes, Aunt Lydia, I said. We did. This will be helping them. Now that I have told you, every minute that passes in which you do not divulge the secret to the eyes will count as treachery 
Needless to say, I myself will be executed. And if Nicole won't comply, they'll kill her. That's emotional blackmail, Nicole said. Your juvenile notions of fairness do not apply here, said Aunt Lydia. She turned to the two of us. You are, of course, free to make your own decisions. I will leave the room. Nicole, come with me. Becca's eyes were wide and frightened, as mine must have been. We have to do it, Becca said. We can't let them die. Nicole is your sister, and Aunt Lydia is asking for obedience and loyalty. Remember how she rescued us, both of us. When the Thanksgiving ceremony was less than a week away, Aunt Lydia called us to her office again. I have arranged a room for Nicole at one of our country retreat houses, but it is you, and Immortel, who will be going in Nicole's stead. She herself will take your place and will travel as a pearl girl to Canada. Then I won't be going, said Becca, dismayed. You will go later, said Aunt Lydia. I suspected it was a lie, even then. As I was sitting in the Schlafly Café, having my late afternoon cup of mint tea, Aunt Elizabeth hurried in. Aunt Lydia, she wailed, there have been eyes and angels in Ardua Hall. You didn't sanction this. Calm yourself, I said. My own heart was beating fast and thick. Where exactly were they? In the print shop. They confiscated all our Pearl Girls brochures. Aunt Wendy protested, and I'm sorry to say she was arrested. This is unprecedented, I said, rising to my feet. I shall demand a meeting with Commander Judd immediately. I headed for my office. Judd was there before me. So much for our agreed-on sacred separate sphere. The eyes and angels have greatly overstepped the bounds of decency, not to mention those of custom and law. All in the service of your good name, Aunt Lydia. We came to the conclusion that the microdots I informed you about must have been passed to and fro through the unwitting agency of the brochures that the Pearl Girls were distributing. He paused to note my response. You astonish me. I was wondering what had taken them so long. Do you have proof? We raided the Ardua Hall print shop and retained Aunt Wendy for questioning. I cannot believe Aunt Wendy is implicated, I said. That woman has the brain of a guppy. So we have concluded. She will recover from the shock in the calm and balm clinic, he said. I have long had my doubts about Aunt Vidala, I said. Aunt Helena and Aunt Elizabeth also have clearance for the print shop, and I myself have always been the one to place the new brochures in the hands of our departing Pearl Girls, so I ought to be under suspicion as well. Aunt Lydia, you must have your little jokes, he said. But we must not leave the perpetrator at large. Both you and I will be accused of laxness to the point of treachery for letting May Day run rings around us, right under our noses here in Ardua Hall. The situation is critical. There's a way to redeem ourselves, he said. Baby Nicole must be produced immediately and put on full display. It would be even more efficacious if I could announce her betrothal to myself and have the subsequent wedding ceremony broadcast, you and I would be untouchable then. Brilliant, as usual, I said. But you are married. How is the health of my wife? Better than it was, I said, but not as good as it might be. How can he have been so obvious as to have employed rat poison. Shunammite is, in fact, making a recovery. I fear she will have a relapse, I said. He sighed. Oh, I will pray for her release from suffering. And I'm sure your prayers will be answered soon. 
we gazed at each other across my desk. How soon? He could not resist asking. Soon enough, I said. Two days before Becker and I were supposed to receive our strands of pearls, we had an unexpected visit from Aunt Lydia during our private evening prayers. Please call Nicole. There is an emergency, said Aunt Lydia. She was breathing more quickly than usual. Aunt Lydia, are you well? Becca asked anxiously. Nicole came in and asked if everything was okay. No, said Aunt Lydia. Commander Judd has just raided our printing press. He has learned that Jade is baby Nicole and is determined to marry her as soon as possible. They can't make me marry him, said Nicole. You and Nicole must leave tomorrow, said Aunt Lydia to me. But we don't have our pearls or the dresses. I will bring the necessary items to you later tonight, said Aunt Lydia. I have already arranged a pass identifying Nicole as an immortal. Aunt Helena will notice Nicole is gone, I said, and they'll wonder why Aunt Immortelle is still here. Indeed. Therefore, I must ask you to perform a special service, Aunt Immortelle. Please conceal yourself for at least 48 hours after the other two have left. Perhaps in the library? Not there, said Becca. There's no room. I'm sure you'll think of something. Our entire mission depends on you. It is a great deal of responsibility. A renewed Gilead can be possible only through you, and you would not want the others to be caught and hanged. No, Aunt Lydia, Becca whispered. Thinking cap on, said Aunt Lydia brightly. We should make it look as if Nicole has climbed over the wall, said Becca. That way they won't look inside Ardua Hall. I'll have to hide inside it somewhere. What an intelligent idea, Anne Immortelle said Aunt Lydia. Perhaps Nicole will oblige us by writing a note to that effect. She can say that she realizes she is unsuitable as an aunt. That will not be hard to believe. At ten o'clock, Aunt Lydia reappeared at the door with everything we needed. Here is a map, with the route marked. Get off at the X. The passwords there will be May Day and June Moon. I can now tell both of you that if you do in fact reach Canada... There is a not insignificant chance that you may, I say, may, be reunited with your mother, she said. I have prayed so long for such an outcome, I said. Success is not a foregone conclusion, said Aunt Lydia. Guess I'll write that note and go to bed, said Nicole, after Aunt Lydia had gone. Once she was out of the room, Becca said, I really wish I was going with you. I really wish you were coming too, I said, but you'll be protecting us, and I'll find a way to get you out later, I promise. I don't think there is a way, said Becca. Aunt Lydia said 48 hours. If you can hide that long. I know where, said Becca. On the roof, in the water cistern. No, Becca, that's too dangerous. Why don't I just not go? You don't have a choice. If you stay here, what will happen to Nicole? There must be a way we can take you, I said. Pearl girls only ever travel in twos. We wouldn't get far. I'll be with you in spirit. Thank you, Becca, I said. You are a sister to me. I'll think of you as birds, flying away, she said. A bird of the air will carry the voice. I will pray for you. I said. It did not seem adequate. And I for you. The next morning, Nicole and I slipped out quietly while the birds were chirping. We walked quickly along the pathway, towards the statue of Aunt Lydia. Just as we got to it, Aunt Vidala came around the corner of the adjacent building, walking resolutely. She peered at Nicole. That's the new girl, Jade. She isn't supposed to... She reached out her hand and grabbed Nicole's strand of pearls, which broke. Nicole did something with her fist. It was so fast I hardly saw it. But Aunt Vidala crumpled to the ground. Help me, said Nicole. 
she took Aunt Vidala by the feet and dragged her behind the base of the statue. Is she dead? Don't know, said Nicole. Come on, we need to hurry. We reached the gate, showed our passes, and the angels led us out. There was a black car farther up the street, as Aunt Lydia had said there would be. My heart was pounding. What if I'd actually killed Aunt Vidala? My left arm had begun to itch again, around the O. Why was it taking so long to heal? Our car went through a couple of checkpoints, passports, angels peering in the window to make sure we were us. But Agnes had told me to let the driver do the talking, and he did. Pearl girls this and that, and how noble we were. In Portsmouth, New Hampshire, the driver of our car let us out at the bus station where we waited and waited, and finally a bus came. About ten miles along, there was another checkpoint. One of the angels said, You're very brave, heading into Sodom. Agnes had the Ardua Hall knack of keeping her face flat and calm. We are simply doing our service for Gilead, she said. The bus took the scenic route, winding along the coast. It was slow, and it wasn't until around five in the afternoon when we got off in a town with a shabby convenience store. Inside the store, Agnes went up to a middle-aged econo man working the coffee counter. Two coffees, please, said Agnes. He shoved them across the counter. It's warm for a May day, said Agnes. It's not May, he said. Of course not, she said. My mistake. There's a June moon. You need to use the washroom, he said. It's through that door. We went through the door. It wasn't a washroom. It was an outside shed with old fishnets, a stack of buckets. Here's your new stuff, said the man. We need to get a move on. The clothes were practical, jeans, hiking boots. Once I got the silver dress off and those clothes on, I began to feel more like myself. Now that I was about to leave Gilead forever, I was feeling homesick. The miles went by. The moon had risen above the clouds, silvering the black outlines of the treetops. I fell asleep and dreamed of Becca. The night slid by in silence. After a while, we turned down a narrow side road. Water glinted ahead. We pulled in beside what looked like a private dock. There was a motorboat with someone sitting in it. I poked Agnes in the ribs, and she started awake. Boat time. Let's go. Our driver was gone before we were halfway to the boat. The person in the boat called to us softly. The motor was electric and very quiet. There was a crescent moon, and the water was reflecting it. Look. Agnes whispered. I've never seen anything so beautiful. It's like a trail of light. At that moment, I felt older than her. We were almost outside Gilead now, and she was going to a new place. But I was going home. The mist was rising. The shores were vague. There she is, the man said finally. I could see a darker shadow out on the water. Vanelli J. Banks, your ticket to paradise. Aunt Vidala was discovered lying behind my statue in a comatose condition by elderly Aunt Clover. The conclusion the paramedics came to was that she'd had a stroke. A broken Pearl Girl's necklace was found in the vicinity. I paid Aunt Vidala a visit in the intensive care unit. She was lying with her eyes closed and a tube going into her nose. How is our dear Aunt Vidala? I asked the nursing aunt on duty. She's in a coma. They're afraid her speech might be affected. If she recovers, I said. When she recovers the nurse said reproachfully. Before leaving, I pocketed a small vial of morphine, foresight being a cardinal virtue. While we were taking our lunchtime places in the refectory, Aunt Helena commented on the absence of Aunt Victoria and Aunt Immortelle. 
I believe they are fasting, I said. They are hoping for guidance during their upcoming mission. Commendable, said Aunt Helena. Where is our new convert, Jade? Perhaps she is ill, I said. I will go and see, said Aunt Helena. Aunt Helena hurried back, clutching Nicole's note, giddy with the excitement of her discovery. The girl, Jade, had eloped with a plumber, Aunt Helena added. That is unfortunate, I said. Captain Mishimango shook our hands. He had two fingers missing. There's a place for you to sleep in the hold. There's an inspection, Coast Guard. It won't be thorough. It's guys we know. He rubbed his fingers together, which I knew meant money. We reached our sleeping place by going down a ladder. My god love tattoo was bothering me, and I had to lie on my right side to avoid squashing it. I wondered if I had blood poisoning. We woke up when it was still dark because the ship was rocking. Agnes climbed out of our metal box and went up the ladder to see what was happening. I wanted to go too, but I really wasn't feeling well. She came back down with a thermos of tea. We'd reached the ocean, she said. You think this is going to work? I asked finally. It's not in our hands, she said. By the beginning of our second day, I was very worried about Nicole. She had a fever. We were still in Gileadian waters, and around noon there was a Coast Guard inspection. Nicole and I shut the door of our metal box from the inside, and we stayed absolutely quiet. Later that day there was engine trouble. Captain Mishimengo seemed worried. Without power we'd be swept out to sea, or else we'd be wrecked on the Canadian shore, and the ship would be impounded and the crew arrested. For supper there were chicken sandwiches. But Nicole wasn't hungry and wanted to sleep. May I feel your forehead? Her skin was burning hot. I would just like to say that I'm happy you are my sister, I told her. I am too, she said. Do you think we'll ever see our mother? I have faith that we will. Do you think she'll like us? She will love us. I'd like to pray for you, so you'll feel better. By the time I'd finished, Nicole was asleep. I heard footsteps coming down the metal ladder. It was Captain Mishimengo. We need to offload you, he said. Now? But it's night. Sorry, we're low on power. We're now in Canadian waters, but nowhere close to where we we're supposed to take you. We can't get to a harbor. It's too dangerous for us. The tide is against us. We'll put you in an inflatable. She's not well, I said, indicating Nicole. Can it be tomorrow? No. The tide's turning. Miss this window and you'll be swept out to sea. The Nellie J. Banks was moving away from us. I could feel the tide gripping the inflatable. Hold my flashlight, Nicole said, so she could start the motor. We were moving quickly. There were lights on the shore to our left, very far away. But then the motor died. What happened? Electrical short, I think. Now we have to row. Row? Yeah, with the oars. I can only use my good arm. Okay, when I say go... Put the oar in the water and pull. I don't know how. Just do it, said Nicole. Now, when I say go, pull the oar towards you. We'll be swept away. No, we won't. Not if you try. Now go and go. That's it. Go. Go. Aunt Vidala has opened her eyes. She's not yet said anything. Does she have a mind in there? Any denunciation she makes of me to a nurse will go straight to the eyes. I must take precautions. 
Rumour at Ardua Hall has it that her stroke was the result of some shock or even of some attack. From the heel marks in the soil, it would appear that she was dragged around to the back of my statue. She has been removed from the intensive care unit to a recovery ward, and Aunt Elizabeth and Aunt Helena are taking turns sitting beside her bed, each suspicious of the other, so it is not possible for me to be with her alone. The elopement note has been the subject of much speculation. Aunt Elizabeth gave it as her opinion that there was something very suspicious about the whole affair. I agreed with her and said we must await developments. Commander Judd was not so easily deflected. He called me into his office for an emergency meeting. You've lost, baby Nicole. He was trembling with suppressed rage and also fear. To have had baby Nicole within his grasp and to have let her slip, this would not be forgiven by the council. Who else knows her identity? No one else? You? Me? And Nicole herself, of course. How could you let this happen? To bring her into Gilead, then allow her to be whisked away? It was more enjoyable than I can well express to watch Judd writhe, but I put on a dismal face. Either she really has absconded, or she's been abducted. If the latter, those responsible must be working with May Day. I was buying time. One is always buying something. I had good reason to hope that my messengers were well on their way, carrying with them the seeds of Gilead's collapse. Not for nothing had I been photographing the Ardua Hall top classification crime files over so many years. The Works Department has investigated the shortage of water complained of by the aunts living in doorways A and B, and has discovered poor Aunt Immortel in the cistern, blocking the outlet. Don't think I am not saddened by her loss. But I remind myself that it was a willing sacrifice. It's a terrible scandal, said Aunt Elizabeth. We will cover it up, I said. But speculation grew. Two pearl girls had passed through the gate. The angels on duty swore to that, and their papers were in order. Was one of them Aunt Victoria? Who was the second pearl girl? Then news came that two pearl girls had been spotted at the Portsmouth bus station in New Hampshire. Commander Judd ordered a search operation. The orders were to shoot, to kill. That is somewhat harsh, I said. They are inexperienced. They must have been misled. Under the circumstances, a dead baby Nicole is much more useful to us than a living one, he said. It's clear she was a plant, inserted into Gilead under false pretenses. Alive, she could pull both of us down. The long knives will come out, and not just for me. Your reign at Ardua Hall will be over. He loves me. He loves me not. Very true, I said. Some in our country are unfortunately obsessed with vengeful payback. They do not believe that you have always acted for the best, especially in your winnowing operations. I had a flashback, not for the first time. In my brown sackcloth robe, I raised the gun, aimed, shot. A bullet or no bullet? A bullet. I went to visit Aunt Vidala again. Aunt Elizabeth was on duty, knitting a little cap for a premature baby. Vidala's eyes were closed. She was breathing evenly, worse luck. Has she spoken yet? I asked. No, not a word, said Aunt Elizabeth. Good of you to be so attentive, I said, but you must be tired. Go and get a cup of tea. She threw me a suspicious look, but she went. Once she was out of the room, I leaned over 
and spoke loudly into Vidala's ear. Wake up. Her eyes opened. She focused on me. Then she whispered with no slurring, You did this, Lydia. You'll hang for it. You're tired, I said. Go back to sleep. She closed her eyes again. I was rummaging in my pocket for the vial of morphine I'd brought with me when Elizabeth walked in. I forgot my knitting, she said. Vidala spoke when you were out of the room. What did she say? She must have some brain damage, I said. She's accusing you of having struck her. She said you were in league with Mayday. But no one can possibly believe her, Elizabeth said, blanching. Some might find it expedient to have you denounced. Not all of the commanders appreciated the ignominious exit of Dr. Grove. She sat down. This is a disaster. We've been in tight spots before, Elizabeth. Remember the thank tank? We both made it out of that. You were so bolstering, Lydia, she said. Such a shame about Vidala's allergies, I said. I hope she won't suffer an asthmatic attack while sleeping. I notice that her pillow needs rearranging. Two birds with one stone. If so, how satisfactory, and a diversion that will create more runway. The clock ticks, the minutes pass. I wait. I wait. Fly well, my messengers, my silver doves, my destroying angels. Land safely. The waves were very high, and the tide was fast, and it was sweeping us out to sea. I thought we were going to die. Aunt Lydia's message would be lost, and all the sacrifices would be for nothing. Keep going, Nicole shouted. The sound of the waves hitting the shore was close, but it was so dark I couldn't see where the shore was. Then a big wave came right into the boat, and Nicole called, Row! Row for your life! There was a crunch, which must have been gravel, and another big wave came, and the inflatable tipped sideways, and we were hurled up onto the land. I was on my knees in the water. Nicole threw her arms around me. We made it! she shouted. I sure as hell hope this is the right shore! She was laughing, but also gasping for air. I'm so proud of Agnes. After that night, she was really my sister. She kept on going, even though she was at the end, which was a good thing because by that time I was delirious. My left arm felt as if it wasn't mine. We clambered over rocks and sloshed through pools of water, slipping and sliding. Someone shouted from a cliff overhead, There they are! I was too tired to yell back. And then someone picked me up and started carrying me. And then I blacked out. They airlifted us to the Campobello Refugee Medical Center and stuffed antibiotics into me. Agnes was there beside the bed, holding my hand. Ada was there beside her, and Elijah and Garth. My sister said to me, It's a miracle. You saved our lives. You're all over the news, said Ada. Sisters defy the odds. Baby Nicole's daring escape from Gilead. Also the document cache, said Elijah. It's explosive. So many crimes among the top brass in Gilead. The Canadian media are releasing one disruptive secret after another, and soon heads will roll. Our Gilead source really came through for us. Is Gilead gone? I said. Not yet, said Elijah. But it's the beginning. I think I went to sleep. Then I was awake again. Does she still have a fever? said a voice. What happened? I said. Shh, said my sister. It's all right. Our mother is here. I opened my eyes, and it was very bright, but there was a woman standing there. She looked sad and happy, 
both at once. She was crying a little. I felt it must be her, so I reached up my arms. My darling girls, she said. She smelled right. It was like an echo of a voice you can't quite hear. Then I went back to sleep. And so we come to my end. It's late. Too late for Gilead to prevent its coming destruction. I'm sorry I won't live to see it, the conflagration, the downfall. And it's late in my life. And it's late at night. A cloudless night, as I observed while walking here. The full moon is out, casting her equivocal corpse glow over all. Three eyes saluted me as I passed them. In moonlight, their faces were skulls, as mine must have been to them. They will come too late, the eyes. My messengers have flown. I'll make a quick exit. A needleful or two of morphine will do it. If I allowed myself to live, I would disgorge too much truth. Torture is like dancing. I'm too old for it. In my end is my beginning, as someone once said. Who was that? Mary, Queen of Scots, if history does not lie. Her motto, with a phoenix rising from its ashes, embroidered on a wall hanging. Such excellent embroiderers women are. The footsteps approach, one boot after another. Between one breath and the next, the knock will come. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.